How are you? Good. Check one, two. Alrighty, welcome to SOHOP. How many how many still remember what that stands for? Oh that's a that's a good start. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh we're still we're still trying to leave people gas? I was gonna say it. Oh really? No way. <laughs> <laughs> the only other one. Wow. Thankfully, it's not something related to House of Prayer or something like that. <laughs> so, hop, you know, for the hop part. <laughs> right. International House of Pancakes slash Prayer. But uh, for the reveal, you got to stay until the last lesson next year 
but we're going to go ahead and pray so that we can get started here with, uh, with our next uh, lesson for today. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you once again, Lord. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for the opportunity to be with one another, Lord God. And that we have learned, Lord, that through Christ, Lord, we have unity. Through Christ, Lord, we have love for one another, Lord God. So um, we ask you, Lord God, to continue to encourage us in this way, in this path, Lord God, that though we have different backgrounds and different um, age groups and different um, cultures, that we can still be together through Christ and enjoy one another and also be of blessing to one another because you have united us. Let this reality sink in, Lord God, and also guide this meeting that anything that uh, would be retained would be only that that comes from your word and that that comes from your Holy Spirit to us, Lord God, through the revealing of your word. So we thank you for this time together once again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <coughs> yeah. Or yeah, I already have a heavy accent as it is, and so imagine. <coughs> so uh, today uh, we're, we're looking at... Um, uh, can you believe we're actually been through already, th today's our sixth lesson, and so uh, if you remember, we're doing a Living as a Church uh, series, and right now we are in lesson six, it's church fellowship, and so we have, we've had great lessons uh, so far, and we just want to remind e uh, each other that if you have missed any of the lessons before, just come uh, speak to me, shoot me an email or a message or whatever, so I can get you a previous lesson. Uh, because as you can see, we, we've had six lessons. Now, we don't have any handouts. I forgot to print them out. So we'll ride with the trusting of our memories. What I'm going to do, though, is put the PDF on the WhatsApp group. So I'll put the PDF on the WhatsApp group, and you can have it there. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can take notes on your phone or like that, and I apologize for that. I, was I dropped the ball there. I just remember that, r like literally. I, I have them ready. I just forgot to print them out. Um, so, <coughs> um, as we go through, let's see, do we still work? Yeah, perfect. Um, the class materials, we're going to skip that because I, uh, I liked it today. It was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to skip that. And so, t uh, today we're going to be looking at um, church fellowship. And so, um, let's think of all the places where people have experienced any source of fellowship and community, right? Uh, over here, the kind of like the tailgate party at a football game or at the barber shop. And by the way, I do have that ex barbershop experience with there's a Honduran barber right here in Socasty. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a Latino barbershop experience. You sit down and you have it and everything. It's, it's oh, go live on Facebook, please. Yes, I went live on the OBS, but not on Facebook. And then if you could, yeah, the mouse is on that side. Forgot to go live on Facebook, yeah. Good point. Oh, they were watching or no? Oh, they're trying. No, it wasn't live, actually. We're good? And did you click on back on this? Just, yeah, slide it to the right. Uh, no, so slide the mouse to the right until you see the mouse over there on the screen. Yep, and then click anywhere. One click. Let's see. Perfect. You're good. Thanks, bro. Um, and thanks for that. Yeah, so as we are seeing today, for those who are uh, online watching, we are 
uh, continuing through a series of living as a church, and today we're going to be looking at uh, church fellowship. And I was asking here the group to kind of um, think of all the places where we've had fellowship together, the barbershop or the water cooler at the office, usually, you know, some of those common areas or family reunions, and we'll have... We'll have some of those coming up here for the holidays, um, and, um, and especially the local church, right? So um, Acts, uh, Acts 2.42 says that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, if we remember those, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that leads us to a question that I want, to, that I want us to uh, talk about tonight as we begin, and that is, what makes Christian fellowship different from worldly friendships and relationships, right? Um, and so all of these points us to the heart of what makes Christian fellowship different, and it is the answer is simply that it's on Christ-like love, right? The first few weeks of this class, we looked at how unity has formed is formed in the church through the foundation and of the new identity that we're all sharing Christ, all the way through various aspects of life together, from church membership into preaching to prayer to the way that we govern in the church and today we'll be discussing fellowship within the church specifically how members love each other based on the bond of unity that God has formed in us so what do relationships look like in a spiritual supernatural community that's what we're gonna be talking about today now next week whoever who's in charge of that one Rusty Oh, next week well, will be Christmas, and next week will be... So next year, <laughs> next year, uh, probably Rusty maybe, or he'll be looking at the negative side, basically how to deal with discontentment in the church when fellowship is not going well. So that's a, 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 um, a, a good approach that we, that we can um, listen to here next year. But before we get there... We want to state positively what our fellowship looks like or should look like for us to have unity and a compelling witness to the watching world. So what characterizes healthy relationships in the church? So first, let's consider the question of how we as Christians should relate to one another. Specifically, what, what characterizes healthy relationships in the church? So the answer is both simple and profound. And the answer is a four-letter word, love, right? So in a word, Christ-like love is what makes our fellowship distinct from any other earthly fellowship. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another, right? As I have loved you, you must, so must you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How incredible is that last verse, right? By this... All men will know that you are my disciples, says John 13, 34 to 35, if you love one another. And so why is love important, right? And well, first we have to think about that because God, first and foremost, is glorified when people who have little else in common but Christ live together in genuine love. This is what Paul is so excited about in chapter 3 of Ephesians when he says the previously clashing peoples like the Jews and the Gentiles are now united, a united family in the church. This supernatural reconciliation brings the angels in heaven to, their, to all. 
for us to see as, as we saw in the first lesson, right? So think about it. Why does God showcase his glory to the world through our love in the church? And that's because our love models only by pale reflection the unity of the triune God. And this is exactly what Jesus prays for in, to the Father in John 17, right? When he's making that priestly prayer, he says, The glory you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So how, again, another confirmation, another scripture talking about how shall they out there know him by our love to each other. And so our love for each other rooted in our commonality in Christ is a picture of the loving unity of the Godhead. Now let's see a, a, a brief overview of Christian love. So in this if the key aspect of Christian fellowship is love, let's spend a moment thinking about what love involves. Love is such a common word and a, 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 and, and concept that we've got to make sure it doesn't become meaningless, right? Jonathan Edwards says, has a simple definition that is helpful here. He says that love is that disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. So as Christians, we are dear to another because we are dear to God. Being God's child involves loving what God loves. And God loves the church so much so that he purchased her with his own blood. God's love models then that love isn't that then that that love isn't merely an emotion or a feeling, right? It's a disposition toward another that expresses itself in concrete action to bring about that person's ultimate good. So if that's what love is, I want us to notice a few things here. And the first, one of the first things is that Christian love is, everybody say it, heart. <laughs> so some back there sounded even more real, you know, it, it's, just, it's heart. <laughs> and it's true, right? It is. Love begins with our hearts, and our hearts are the hardest places of all because we're sinners, so why are there so many exhortations in the, in the New Testament for Christians to love one another, right? Because we need to be told again and again to do this, to love one another. In our flesh, we prefer ease to a hard conversation. We prefer relaxing to serving. We prefer having our, our needs met than to giving our preferences up. And the people we're called to love are sinners too. So that makes it even harder, right? So they let us down say awkward and insensitive things. They resist our counsel, which incidentally should help us appreciate more how patient and merciful Christ is with us, right? Because we do the same. And so that's one of the first things that we, that we can think about when it comes to Christian love. But the second point is that while Christian love can be difficult, we can show such love because of God's grace. We love because God first loved us. Does that sound familiar? It's in 1 John 4.19. Oh, wait, we, we're, not, we're not there yet. We're in 1 John 4, 7 through 13, right? Yes. 
So uh, we're getting there. So what does that mean, right? We, we love because he first loved us. Is, is it like quid, quid pro quo, right? Like I'll invite them for dinner because they invited me last week type of thing? No, right? It means that our ability to love comes from God's love for us. And God is both the source and model for our love. And if we're honest with ourselves, I'll be the first one to raise my hand that a lot of what I think is love is actually quid pro quo, right? Like, yeah, they helped me out, so let me go ahead and help them out. And I deceive myself thinking that it's actually love, right? But it, it's that uh, inspired love that even though there's nothing in it for me, right, that I'm able to look out for those who are in need. Now, Edwards, again, puts it well. And he says this, it is from the breathings of the Holy Spirit that the Christian love arises, the Christian's love arises, toward both toward God and men. The Spirit of God is a spirit of love. And therefore, when the Spirit of God enters into the soul, love enters. God is love, and he who has God dwelling in him by his Spirit will have love dwelling in him. How amazing is that? And what a reminder is that? And the most spectacular way that God has shown us His love is giving us His one and only Son so that we might not perish but have eternal life. And that inspiration, again, goes back to the gospel. And as, and as we have been remembering also from First John, how timely, by the way, this has been, uh, in 3.16, which we have been seeing actually this week being read, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren or for the brothers. So in other words, we can't approach maturity in loving others unless we strive for maturity in grasping the dimensions of God's love. The more we appreciate the magnitude of love of Christ has shown us by dying for each and every one of our sins, the more our lives will be characterized by love. Do you want to become more loving? Jesus said, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And when we know how much we've been forgiven, then our love overflows. And that reminds me of a quote of a book I'm reading this week about one of the most important aspects about Christian maturity is the continuing understanding of who God is and who we are and what he has done for us. Essentially, the right view of God, the right view of ourselves, and the right view of the gospel and once we realize that, who we really are, how much we really have been forgiven, that is an inspiration for us to go and love in Christ-like love. And so we've talked about three aspects of love, right? The first one, that is heart. The second one, that by God's grace, right? Yes, yeah, you're paying attention. Good job. And the third one is that it brings joy. The third aspect of the Christian love is that it brings great joy. It is not only hard for sinners to love, it is supremely worth it. Loving others doesn't just do them good. It brings us the kind of sturdy satisfaction we were created to long for. Like Psalm 133.1 that says... <laughs> Psalm 133 one says, How good Yeah, go ahead. Behold, 
And, you know, it, it's interesting that it almost becomes a cliche, right, when a pastor stands up and says it. But I bet you that most of the time it's not planned when he says it. He just feels it. And it, it, there's something beautiful about that, right, that, uh, that we can actually grasp from God's word and come together and just, you know what, I'm, I'm reminded of this word, how good and pleasant it is when, the br when brothers live together in unity, right? And when we're seeing sweet fellowship in Christ with brothers and sisters, this scripture often comes to mind, right? And also there's another one. What does John say in Second John 12 when he's writing to a church? He knows, well, he says this. Check this out. He says, I have much to write to you, but I, but I do not want to use paper and ink. I do not want to use Facebook, Twitter. No, I, I don't want to use that. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. So how great is that as well? Why keeping these important principles in mind i want to spend the rest of the class considering how we can practically fulfill this command to love one another inside the church when our fellowship is marked by christ-like love what kind of fellowship will it be we're going to identify now six aspects of loving fellowship now as we have already discussed in this seminar or in this uh, sohop in this lessons the church's fellowship is unique because it involves a diverse assortment of people all united in Christ, right? What does this mean for our relationships in the church? It means that love seeks understanding. Love reaches out to those different from you. Those who are dear to you because of the gospel. And seek to understand their hopes and dreams and struggles and sins and backgrounds and battles. It seeks reconciliation when there's been alienation. And warm friendship when the world has drawn lines of separation. And this is why James 2 is so adamant that we shouldn't show personal favoritism. It is why Paul says in Romans 12, 16, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with, yes, with people of low position, low state, with the lowly. So how can you imagine a church like this? A community where People put in the effort to make it rea a real substantive friendship with those who have different cultural backgrounds. I mean, how many countries are here? Well, three at least, right? Maybe four. How many generations? What are those Gen Xers? Where are the Gen Xers? No? Baby boomers. Right? Millennials, yes. Uh, I generations, I generation, I generation, <laughs> right there. So many backgrounds, right? How many of you like carpentry? How many of you hate it? You know, it's just <laughs> so many, so many backgrounds. <laughs> but the grace of God, I have. <laughs> this is what I'm telling you, brother. We should fellowship because we're different. <laughs> Right, and so we're all in different stages of life and have different personalities and all with Christ at the center, that's what makes the difference. Now, we talked about this extensively, right, a, a few weeks ago. And I won't repeat what we said then, but I do want to give a couple of cautions. One is that we have to be aware of that, what is called tokenism, right? What I mean is do not pursue someone different from you only because it, it kind of checks your personal diversity box, right? Pursue them because Christ died for them and because you want to see them grow. Amen? 
That's right. And a second, be sensitive as to how you go about getting to know people who are different, recognizing that your way of pursuing a friendship with them comes from your own personality and culture. So we got to remember how we come to, to, the, to the people around us. And a good thing to remember is that if you tend to ask people a long list of questions to get to know them, that can be a little bit intimidating for some people, right? If you always begin asking them where you come here from and where they went to school now that assumes a couple of things that they were not from here first and secondly that they went to school so but those things aren't true for everybody so just something to keep in mind as far as how we approach right but let us look though for such opportunities here at cornerstone where we can create fellowships that go beyond our regular or usual preferences so i'll be looking forward to that dinner invitation second our fellowship should be characterized by sacrificial love. And it is a community of those who come together not to be served, but to serve. Remember again, 1 John 4, 10 and 11, right? As we have studied together on Sundays, and this how timely is that actually? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the... In Greek, Helasterion, <laughs> for our <laughs> sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, I, I mean, we've seen James said it now. Jesus himself. Now John say it now, right? By this, if so lo God loved us, so we are to love one another. By the inspiration of God's fellowship in the trinity by god's inspiration of his work in the gospel so we are to love one another and one way that we can do this at ccmb cornerstone church myrtle beach is by carrying one another's burdens right as paul says in galatians 6 2 that our own church uh, actually our own church covenant states that we agree to that we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a christian church and so how, we, how do we exercise this affectionate care? Well, this means that we come alongside someone in a time of challenge or spiritual or physical, you name it, and literally help carry that load. It may involve patiently bearing with someone's spiritual struggles for a prolonged period of time in a discipling re relationship. It may mean providing material help to those who are in need, groceries, a loan, a ride, childcare. It may be giving up your Friday nights to visit someone who is sick within the context of what, what that means in 2020. Service in the church can certainly involve volunteering for things, right? Childcare, um, sound, hospitality, cleaning up, etc. But if you're the type of person who loves to sign up to the, you know, to the get stuff done at the church, let me encourage you not to ignore the kind of service that happens mainly in personal relationship, which often takes more time, but it can also be messy, right? And again, this is by God's grace a normal thing in our church, from the providing meals for families who had just a who had a child or an operation or a crisis of some kind, uh, to the way of how some people just naturally serve and see how things need to be done in the church around us and around other people, or etc. Um, and, and we emphasize here that we are to continue to walk in such love. 
And as we mentioned, it is, it is not easy, and sometimes it is not even as natural, right? That's what we said, that as we are changed supernaturally by Christ, we walk supernaturally because otherwise, if it was up to our natural ways, it, it wouldn't be possible. But we are to strive to be attentive to the needs around us to serve one another. Now, third, a Christian church is a fellowship in the truth. Unlike other communities, we are to be marked by an unusual personal transparency and bold honesty as we speak the truth of Scripture to each other. And again, in our church covenant, we agree actually to that. If we read the church covenant here at the Cornerstone, we agree to have watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may arise or may require. And we do this out of a desire to see others grow in holiness. So Jesus asked the Father in John 17, 17 again in that priestly prayer, sanctify them, that is, make them more holy and pure, right? In the truth, your word is truth, right? And Paul told the Colossians as well, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it moves on from, from here to teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom not in all being a jerk right in all wisdom because sometimes we gather too much in it and we don't care about the wisdom that can come out to minister to one another is that a bad word that I said no okay I just want to make sure I'm going to use the Costa Rican card right now <laughs> just in case You don't have to be unwise. How's that? <laughs> now, let's think of two aspects of this fellowship in the truth, right? The first is transparency, telling the difficult truth about yourself. Now, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Raise your hand if this is extremely easy for you. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard, right? This doesn't mean now that you open up about your darkest struggles to all of the members. But if we're not opening up to one or two people, we should ask ourselves why. Are we afraid of being exposed or being rebuked or of admitting that we don't have it all together? Consider that, consider that if we hide our sins and faults from those who love us, we're also robbing them of the opportunity to do spiritual good. Consider that if you model transparency, that will teach others what it looks like to humble yourself and will lead to spiritual good to them as well. And the second aspect of this is proclamation, telling the truth about God and His Word at all times, even when it's difficult for someone to hear. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This includes ordinary interactions at church. It includes discipling relationships where we meet up with someone of the same gender to, re to read through a book or study of scripture together for the express purpose of helping them grow spiritually. This also involves exercising spiritual watchfulness for each other. 
So we read in Hebrews 3.13, if we remember, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be heartened by sin's deceitfulness. So cultivate the ability to rebuke in love. Most of, a most of us naturally shy away from this because we want to avoid confrontation, right? We might be a handful of folks. Now, there might be a handful of folks who might think that they have a spiritual gift of rebuke and enjoy it, but I'm not talking to th that person. <laughs> it is to the rest of us, right, that find it difficult, but it is actually the loving thing to do. Sin aspires to deceive, and our minds are prone to wonder. So we should especially watch out for those who seem to be wandering from the truth. Leviticus 19.17 instructs, Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. And we read in James as well, If one of you should wander from the truth and, and, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error, from the error of his way, will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So do you, know, do you know friends who at one time seemed to be particularly active in the church and have drawn back or maybe even stopped attending church regularly? Or I would encourage you to give them a call or have lunch with them and see what's going on and be worried for them, right? Of course, we're not just to speak truth to each other when it is an issue of sin. The whole book of Proverbs actually showcases the value of wise friends who can address the general habits and patterns in our lives. So a genuine love for others will probe into these areas. Would taking that job cause any particular stress in your family? You know, questions that would challenge somebody. Would taking that business trip put you in a position of temptation? Are your habits of spending time and money oriented toward what God values? And I do appreciate the counsel of my fellow elders, for example, th they challenge me with very similar questions like this when I make decisions. They make me think about what am I prioritizing? What am I putting first? What am I doing um, r right or wrong? And th these are questions that we should more constantly ask one another out of concern for the other's holiness. Not in judgment, but in real love and in concern for their walk. Now, the fourth thing, aspect of loving fellowship, our fellowship isn't different because of our willingness to tell the truth, but, but also because of our willingness to forgive and, rec and reconcile when fellowship has been broken. So Paul says in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Christ's forgiveness is the basis for ours. When someone sins against us, what's our instinct? Either withdraw or bitterness. I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. Or I'm going to get them back, right? Payback and revenge, right? But neither of these should take place in the church. God hasn't withdrawn from that person, but has adopted them into his family. And Christ has already absorbed God's just wrath for that person's sin. So no revenge is actually necessary. The relational and judicial aspects then of God's forgiveness make our forgiveness possible. 
Let me say that again because it's super important. I, I was blessed by this when I was receiving this and, and preparing this. The relational and judicial aspects then of God's forgiveness make our forgiveness possible. As someone who has been forgiven much by God, how could we let sin, let sin that God has already dealt with stand between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ? So remember the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? Whose billion dollar debt was canceled. But then got all indignant when someone couldn't pay him five bucks. Forgiving from a posture of mercy then means refusing to let the sin stand in the way of a loving relationship. And refusing to hold the sin against someone. So how can we cultivate this posture of mercy, knowing that people in the church will, will sin against us. For one, we should regard others as having good intentions and motives in their words and actions rather than jumping into conclusions in our minds and suspecting some evil intent. How many of us jump into conclusions? A good rule of thumb is to never assume one's motives. You know, or that at least you perceive, you know that you are at, last, uh, at least you perceive the facts, but we can't always perceive the motives. So humility provides the benefit of the doubt. Then consider that as Christians we belong to Christ in eternity with one another. We will one day dwell with one another in perfect, think about this, think about it. We're all dead today, for example. We're dead in a way, but we're all. We will one day dwell with one another in perfect fellowship. That, that other brother in Christ that you don't relate with very nicely, you will dwell with him in perfect, or her in perfect fellowship in glory. With no more sinning against each other, though. So when we look at each other in the church today, we should remind ourselves that we will be eternally united in Christ. You're loving someone who's on his or her way to perfect. This is awesome. You're, you're loving someone who is on her way to his or her perfect Christ-likeness. When there will be nothing unlovely or abrasive about them. We will love them perfectly. Now that should give us patience and perspective. This person won't be always hard to love. <laughs> Isn't that a, a glimpse of hope right there, right? He w that person won't always be hard to love. And fifth, fifth before sixth, Christian fellowship is unique because suffering doesn't pull our community apart. It actually pulls us together. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 4 and 5, that Christ comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over, uh, flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. This means that our relationships should be characterized by warmth, and gentleness that is a reflection of the, uh, of the compassion of our Savior. Jesus loved in this way. 
And look at the account in Mark 1, 40 and 41. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, can you can make me clean. And Jesus, what, look what he says. It's a passive term here, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to heal him, but he did this to express compassion and to show that he can't be made unclean, but he cleanses the dirty and the downcast. As a church, we're the body of Christ. We experience what Jesus experiences. What that means that we will suffer, and it means that we will be filled with his comfort by his spirit. Christians weren't made to suffer long. If you are suffering, one of the ways that God intends to bring you comfort is through the church. If you know someone who is suffering, now is probably not the good time for that rebuke that you're thinking about, right? But for the Christ-like touch of, compa of compassion, now is the time for the gentle word, the hug, the prayer, or simply sitting with someone and listening, Offering comfort to someone who's suffering isn't really the type of thing that you can check a box and sign up for, right? You have to be building that relationship first. And then when trials come, be ready to make yourself available. When we gather on Sundays, as we look around, we see many who are suffering at different times in our church, from illnesses, from extended family problems, from heartbreak and grief, from despair, financial crises, etc., but we also see many among us who make it their habit to comfort others and to offer that comfort through prayer, through their presence, through practical help, through, a sim through even simply through singing a little bit louder so that songs of encouragement can surround those who feel too weak to sing. Now finally, there is a sixth aspect to notice here. We've been talking about, about loving other individual members of the church. But scripture also calls us to love and be committed to the whole congregation. Not just a subset. So 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 10 highlights this reality. That taking the Lord's Supper together as a church binds us together in one body. So, But how can we be faithful to love the whole congregation at one time, right? Or w as a whole. And these are just three brief suggestions that we can think about. First... We can pray through the members list. We can look at, at the WhatsApp group. This is a great way that you can love and serve the entire congregation. We don't have a, a huge membership, so you, you should be able to cover everybody. <laughs> so if you don't know any particular prayer needs of some of those members, then you pray for them generally, in a general sense. You can use some of the prayers that Paul used or that the psalmist used as well and pray it for their lives. Secondly, we can love the whole congregation by building a few people through discipling and teaching so that they in turn can then take what they've learned and minister to others in the congregation. So make it a key part of your discipling others, teaching them how to disciple others as well. So now SOHUB, this lessons here is a great vehicle for growth, right? It's very uh, direct. And so we are to encourage one another to come and learn and discuss what we have learned here. Another aspect of serving 
in some ways to, be to benefit the, uh, the whole congregation is in aspects of volunteering. So to care maybe for a child who's fussy and the parents want to stay in service and take, you know, if they trust you with their child, take him out or, or clean the church um, when, when we leave each meeting or helping putting things together or apart, whatever that looks like. Y these are just some ways in which you are doing something to love the whole congregation. Know what I mean? And so that's how we love the whole congregation by allowing others to be discipled by the teaching of the word. And third, one of the most practical loving things that we can do is give our offerings faithfully and generously for the good uh, of the whole congregation as well, letting the work of God in his sovereignty, of course, be carried forth through the church. So in conclusion, let us remember the words of 1 Corinthians 13, 8, where Paul says that prophecies will cease and tongues will be stilled and knowledge will pass away but love never fails. And Jonathan Edwards, lastly, he said, heaven is a world of love. Therefore, our love for one another will be perfect and complete because it will flow eternally from the one who is love. But in the meantime, let us be inspired by that and love one another sacrificially. Amen? Any questions or comments?